Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast, Phase 2. I, of course, the voice you are listening to currently, am TJ Patrick, joined, as always, by the, well, I guess the Captain America to my Falcon. Fuck. Who the hell's Bucky? Nobody sit! (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were going to do it, and then you said Falcon instead, you dummy! Well, I I think I was actually not going to do that. I think the original joke I had was the phase one to my phase two. (laughs) Oh, that's self all together. Um, um, you couldn't have said the rocket I, to my Groot? I don't know. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Captain America has a black sidekick. I have to do this. And you haven't I even watched his show yet. I make this joke. <laughs> huh? You haven't even watched his show yet. I mean, to be fair, I haven't watched any of their shows yet. It's not favoritism. It's not... You know, me singling anyone out, not saying I'm more excited for one show than the other, Loki, but, you know. (laughs) I mean, I've already watched the first episode, and it is good, so. Of course you have. Of course you fucking have. (laughs) Yeah, I... Everyone's... I watched them all at once. Look, I have a lot of things to watch at the same time. I can't keep up with pop culture. Yeah, you have a thing about committing time to things. That's that's a a you thing. It's difficult to make me sit down for two hours and then to also go, okay, but just stay right there. You got another, like, 12 episodes of a show. I'm like, no, 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 sister. You're not going to get me to some secondary location. (laughs) You could catch up. You could catch up in four days. You could catch up in four days. If just don't watch anything else for four days, you will catch up with WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter. Maybe Season. during no our break. Yeah, like literally, it's it's not hard. Like you can watch WandaVision. It's it's obviously nine episodes, and so it's they're all half hours, except for the last year, like an extra ten minutes. And so you can watch half the season one day, half the season the next day, and then Cap- uh, Captain America or uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is six episodes, all an hour. So you could do three one day and three another, and like it would be palatable. I think I've already heard and maybe have made this joke, but it just occurred to me maybe once again that just, I mean, Captain Falcon is now Captain America. So does that mm-hmm. make him Captain Falcon? No, and th- well, they make the joke in the show. Damn it. <laughs> they definitely, I don't think it's, I don't think it's spoiling it by saying that like, actually, no, it would be spoiling it. So I'll, I'll let you experience that. Right. Um, <laughs> the, his, his name is, is a joke with white and black people in the show. Um, is whether or not he's Falcon or Captain America or some weird like middle combination mm-hmm. or it's, it's, it's a whole thing. Um, but I won't mm-hmm. spoil what the actual lines are cause they're good. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're talking about the redheaded stepchild of the growth of the biggest media franchise of all time. Um, I I would I, I would actually have to fight people on that though. Then it's a redheaded I feel stepchild. Like people... I actually agree. I think it's like fifty. I think it's like sixty forty in terms of like the quality of these movies. What just as a whole? Like Phase Two as a whole, yeah, it's like sixty forty good bad. We just oh, we just yeah. think of it. We just think it's like it's adolescence. That's really what it is. 
if like if the phase one is childhood and phase three is like early adulthood with all the pains involved, then yeah, like literally phase two is adolescence and Joss Whedon is a perfect summation of these things. Well, I personally feel like it's like there are th- there are things about phase two that I feel like are just because phase one was the way phase one was and you kind of have to keep moving it's like you're course correcting a little bit but you can't swerve because then the car will just kind of careen over the fucking cliffside so it's like some things feel like they're kind of "Mm, let's just kind of adjust this a little bit and then you have like brand new things like guardians and Mm -hmm. which we'll obviously get to and ant-man which we'll definitely fucking get to um it's just for me personally, because I think I did touch on this when we talked about phase one and that episode is obviously up. Go check it out if you haven't already, because it'll give context to a lot of this conversation. It's like episode nine. Yeah, it's like one of the first few handful that we did um, because it made sense. And for me, phase one is kind of my version of that, of what you said, because it's like they kind of don't know how this is going to go, so they don't want to be too committed to anything. But then well, that... to be fair, Joss Whedon was supposed to be the one to do, like, the in- end of the Infinity Saga originally. So, like, to be fair, Phase 2, they didn't know what they were doing because then they fired the dude. And Feige had to come in and go, okay, here's what we're doing. Which, I mean, and I'm glad that they went into a different direction, but it's also, like... You know, people do kind of make this assumption that, like, oh, phase two is kind of like the uh, part of the MCU. But I'm like, excuse me, phase one has the Incredible Hulk and Thor and Iron Man 2. Like, come on, guys. (laughs) It's like some of the worst films probably in the entire MCU when all things, when the dust settles. Like, they were very clearly... Not, they had no idea where they were going with certain things. Some things have baffling tones. Again, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The fact that they gave Iron Man two movies when he didn't really need to and then just absolutely didn't know what to do with Thor is just... Mm. And there are kind of ripple effects of those decisions here in unexpected ways, which... Obviously, I will get to when I discuss my thoughts on each individual film. But um, first things first, I think we should just uh, real quick dive into our initial experiences with all these films and then circle back around to talk about the rewatch of these. Ooh, okay. Um, I mean, Thor The Dark World was always just not that great. Um, You know even just watching it. This was at the point where I, I, the only, like I said, the only Marvel movie I have never, I have not seen in theaters is Thor. So I've seen, I saw every single one of these in theaters within like three days of it coming out. Um, Iron Man three. I can't really remember my specific reaction to it, but I, I liked it. I always liked it. Um, it definitely had a sequel feel to it. So like, you know, there's that, there, there is that kind of feeling when you walk out of the, when you walk out of the theater after seeing a sequel, where like you're like, I enjoyed it, but this was a sequel. Um, and then, 
the so yeah, Thor Dark World was always that way. Captain America Winter Soldier obviously gets a lot of credit for all the things that people give it credit for, and it's one of the most beloved ones of the entire series. Um and so I I agreed with that at the time. Um Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh I remember Avengers Age of Ultron I didn't react super violently to. I thought that they could have done certain things better, and I thought they did do some things great. Um but overall, it's like it is one of those great shortcomings of of choosing to go one direction with certain characters versus another and just not having the time to tell the story you actually wanted to tell. Um, it's a little it's a little Zack Snyder in that way where it's like, look, you cut a bunch of stuff for Thor because you just didn't have time and you never really planned it out well in the first place. Um, but that was the movie that caused such a vehement reaction in other friends of mine that it made me do my de- declaration of I'm not going to let little bullshit ruin movies for me. That was the movie where I said to myself, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Like it's a franchise movie. If it sucks, it sucks. I'm not going to be upset. Um, I'm not going to like get angry about it. And so that was the movie that, that declared that for me was, was age of Ultron. And then like I said, you know, Ant-Man, uh, I saw literally two months prior to uh, meeting TJ I was on tour with a children's theater in the middle of Minnesota. They happened to have a like two theater movie theater in town and they were playing like a nine o'clock before, like not midnight because they would never do a midnight premiere uh, of the movie. And I was the only person in that theater Um, and it like surpassed my expectations a ton. Um, I never thought it was going to be what it ended up being, but I thought it was wildly fun. Um, and Ant-Man is still one of like my favorites of the series. Oh, and Guardians. Guardians I actually didn't see on time because I was in the UK when it came out. But then I saw it and it was fantastic because it's Guardians. Okay, your turn. Okay. So I remember Iron Man 3 specifically was my first crack at like trying to do a movie review. That's how old this movie is now. Like, just saying that out loud, it's just like, holy shit, that really was my first... (laughs) Eight-year-old movie. Like, it was the first time I, like... It was the first time I, like, sat down and... What did you fucking say? (laughs) I said it's an old movie. It's 2013. Barack Obama was just starting his second term. (laughs) I thought you said something along the lines of, that's when you learned how to be mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Maybe. <laughs> not, not with Iron Man 3. I actually have no idea what my actual, like, unpolluted thoughts were of Iron Man 3 when I, like, first saw it. Uh, that would require me going back to listen to that god-awful rambly review, quote-unquote, that I did on fucking... I, I don't even know if I still have the fucking video saved. But basically, yeah, it was the first time I ever sat myself down in front of a computer and a microphone and said my thoughts without a script and was like, this is what I thought of a movie. Um, And then Thor The Dark World, I do remember reviewing that. It wasn't, I know it wasn't like my first or even one of my first, but while I was in college, I actually got a, pretty sweet gig looking back uh, as an intern granted an unpaid intern but still an intern that was allowed to basically write record and produce a recurring segment on a radio station 
And that was where I kind of gave like little minute long reviews of movies on a radio station. And I could literally hear myself talk and I simultaneously loved it and hated it. <laughs> Before smartphones and Fandango. What a world. I When you, you, you saying that, you saying that reminds me of the 90s when you would call the movie theater for listings. Hello and welcome to Movie Phone. Uh, is the, the the general gist? <laughs> um, but yeah, that was like one of the movies that I did for the local radio station. Uh, I re- reviewed Thor: The Dark World. I do distinctly remember not being very hard on it. I do remember going like, yeah, you know, it's a Marvel movie. You know, it's pretty good. Go see, go see it. Go take kids. Yada yada yada. Um. Captain America the Winter Soldier, I remember seeing, I remember liking, and then ev- and then the world went crazy. <laughs> because everyone looked at this film and decided this is the best movie that's ever been made. It like like we'll talk about this when we actually do this one specifically, but like the Bucky Steve relationship became the the biggest fucking thing and if you would have told me back in 2007 when i was just learning who the winter soldier was from the comics that this was going to be something that tumblr would eat the fuck up i would have been like (laughs) what are you talking about they're saying they're gay okay i guess i it's difficult for me to speak on now because now i'm you know, obviously a member of the Avatar The Last Airbender crew who just makes everyone gay constantly. Yeah. Like, everyone's gay in that fucking fanfic. <laughs> so, or I should say, in that fandom. Um, but yeah, I just, I remember liking The Winter Soldier. I just don't remember being like over the moon about it the way everyone else was. Cue allusions to the Dark Knight that will act as foreshadowing for a later episode to come down the line. Um, sometimes foreshadowing is fairly obvious. <laughs> uh, and then, fun fact, Guardians of the Galaxy was a movie I saw for my birthday. Ooh. I specifically saw this because we went to uh, Orlando, Florida, uh, because that's my favorite place in the world, because I... I'm a dork who loves theme parks and roller coasters. So obviously they said, what do you want to do for this big milestone birthday? And I said, take me to the place where they have the men in black ride. Uh, but yeah, all that to say that Guardians of the Galaxy, I watched, uh, for, it was significantly after my birthday, but still I saw it quote unquote for my birthday. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, Whenever we talk about Guardians 2, that was also a notable movie that I saw for a drastically different reason. Um, And I'll be brief when we talk about it. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron happened. Yep. This, looking at this, I know I saw this movie. I know I had to have reviewed it because as I just said like I had an internship that where I reviewed movies so I literally had an opinion I had to have had an opinion about it this is why I have to rewatch movies for this fucking podcast because <laughs> if yeah I, I truly 
I had the time, but I did not have to rewatch a single one of these movies. I'm coming in with zero notes. Um, I can spew my opinions and thoughts off the top of my head because I am full of discourse for these things. So, like, I I did not have to rewatch it. I did, but I didn't have to at all. And I kind of barely paid attention because there's nothing. I've watched them so many times. There is nothing I have not noticed. And I am pretty much the exact opposite. If I haven't seen a movie in the last two weeks, I am worthless. <laughs> like that's why doing stuff for this show is sometimes really difficult because it's like, I know I have to rewatch this movie and I know I've seen it like four other times. But if you ask me to talk for this about this movie for five minutes, I'll give you nothing. So <laughs> I need to rewatch it. Um, and then, uh, Ant-Man, funnily enough, like Trev mentioned, uh, like, this wasn't when Trev was here. He came later uh, to join us in our collective hell. But this was when I was in hell. <laughs> Along with uh, Friends of the Podcast, who was, if you've listened to our massive Disney March Madness tournament episodes in, back in March, and if you haven't, please, God, listen to them. I worked way too hard for them to be ignored. <laughs> um. All of the other guests on that show, like we were there at the at the place that shall not be named, uh, and we were right in the thick of suffering. And so then this movie came out, and I guess I saw. Let's it. put it this way: they did a theater internship, and they were mowing lawns. Some of us were others. Others of us were painting, and uh, <laughs> and homes, homes, painting homes. <laughs> Complete yes. abuse. That I sidestepped because I had another job. Oh, I just need to say the words 50 hour work week. That's all that really needs to be said. Oh, more like, than that half the time. I mean, for 22, for 22 year olds. Mm, rough. Anybody. Rough. Uh, I love, I just want to say in a completely unrelated, uh, at an unrelated aspect. I love Kat Patterson so much. She is the absolute best. And she didn't deserve everything that happened. Um, she's a strong woman. <laughs> Very strong. Holy fuck. So, yeah. That's... Uh, oh, all that to say that I saw Ant-Man, but it was in the haze of everything else. So, I had very few tender, intimate like memories of that movie. I was just like, I know I've seen it. I... I have to see it again. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And now the rewatch. In which case, I you just said you didn't rewatch the movies? No, I did. I did. Oh, I rewatched them all because I was waiting on you. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so I rewatched them all. <laughs> but, but, like, truly, I was also doing other things while I did it. But, like, I know that that sounds to listeners like, oh, he didn't even really rewatch it. No, 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 no. This will be, like... 15th time I've seen each of them. Um, so even like Thor the Dark World, I've seen at least like seven times. Um, so don't worry about it. I got this. God, I can only imagine. <laughs> Sometimes it's just background noise. It's like if pe other people do The Office, I put on Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Like, it's just uh, white noise. I'm that way with YouTube videos. <laughs> um, I mean, it really is white noise. I mean, we got Falcon, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this was the introduction of the second black guy. 
Yeah, two black guys. Well, no, three. There's three. There's three. <laughs> oh, yeah, Samuel L. Jackson kind of is important. Technically four, if you count Terrence Howard. <laughs> no, we don't. No. <laughs> okay, so rewatching Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, I actually made a mistake because I thought we were going to get to this much earlier. So months ago... I watched Iron Man 3, Thor The Dark World, Captain America Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy. I was almost done. I was almost there. And then stuff happens. We never got around to Phase 2. It got pushed back and pushed back until here we are in fucking June 2021 in the fucking end times. And (laughs) I'm like, God damn it. I have to watch all four of these damn movies again. I was so close to being done. (laughs) So watching Iron Man 3 again, there's something about it. There's something about knowing I've watched this movie, knowing I've already taken all my mental notes and then those mental notes get deleted in the, you know, computer that is my mind and having to rewatch a rewatch of a rewatch of Iron Man 3, something snapped in me and I couldn't fucking do it. So, when we talk about Iron Man 3... Which I don't get. When we talk about Iron Man 3, it's going to be a little bit just based on instinct and memory because I'm going to be real. I didn't fucking finish it. I was like, nope, I can't. (laughs) So, I mean, it's Iron Man 3. Nobody cares that much. Um, Thor The Dark World had the slightly better option of me watching about half of it getting so tired of the fucking humans and then just kind of spamming the 10 second forward button a bunch. (laughs) Like for scenes where it kind of makes sense to do that. And then we get to winter soldier and I actually watched the winter soldier full through. That was fine. Same thing with guardians, you know, took a break in the middle, but like watched it fairly fine. Same thing with age of Ultron. And I just, uh, Got to, like Age of Ultron and Ant Man. I literally watched this morning at time of recording. So, yeah, it had a rocky start, <laughs> but then after all the hardship, I got through it. It's times like these that make me think we should just not do it. Why are we doing it if you had such a hard time? Let's do something you enjoyed. <laughs> Somehow I enjoy film. (laughs) You wouldn't think that was the case when you hear me talk about it. Uh, (laughs) I can't sit down and watch a television or a movie show. Fuck you. Also, here are my opinions. (laughs) It's like when I talk about wrestling. It's like there literally was a point in the wrestling episode where you were like, it sounds like you don't don't even like it. And I'm like, no, no wrestling fan likes wrestling. We all secretly hate it, <laughs> but we can't quit it. Um, so. All right, fine. So so TJ's, TJ's going to be sour, and I'm going to be the, you know, the the legitimate one, because I Don't you dare be sour. Cla- right. Oh, wait, I forgot. You, oh, I forgot. You're a Marvel shill. What? A little bit. I've learned this about you. You're very, you're very nice to the MCU. I am, because they're really not that complicated. Um, I, look, nobody's, nobody's arguing. 
nobody would ever dare say that any Marvel movie is complicated. Here's the thing. Here's the thing is that like, as we go to start talking about these, I think the point that, that I would try to make is that like, it's not even that they're not very complicated. It's that like, in truth, with the exception of like the, the option you gave when we talked about phase one, where you do two Thor movies so you can set up Loki and Thor better and actually get us to like them before Ragnarok. Um, that, and don't have like Joss Whedon doing this weird. That's the thing. I, I, I'm really not spoiling it by saying this. Like, the, all the things that Joss Whedon did to Loki in the Avengers, like all those attitudes, they are not retconning, but like going deeper on in the Loki show, even in just the first episode. And so like, that's really like phase, the, the mistakes of phase one and two are really something that are getting, um, you know, elaborated on and the characters are improving from the first few times we see them, specifically Wanda and Loki, um, just because other people after the fact took those characters and did better things like Taika Waititi, like the Russo brothers. Um, and so they're, they're basically just like filling out these characters and these gaps that we have in them. Um, and I think that's a good thing. So my point that I'm trying to make here is that I think that it's very, very rare that the, that the MCU, that Marvel chooses a completely wrong and not appropriate and really out of left field story. Um, like it's really uncommon. Like Thor to the Dark World might be one of the few times. Every other time it's like, no, this actually makes sense based on the history of the character and where we want the character to go and what we want to build in the larger cinematic universe. And even when it's something that comes out of left field that we don't expect, like Guardians, because like whoever thought that Ego was going to be a big part of the MCU, nobody, but they took it like James Gunn does and make made something really cool out of it. So, so basically what I'm trying to say here is that like, you know, it's very rare that Marvel makes a terrible movie. Um, well, they, they just can be better. Um, and so that's my whole feeling. I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and, and claim anything's terrible or, or that I had it, like it was painful to watch or anything like that. Cause like they do a pretty good job. The house of mouse does a pretty good job. And I actually am, despite the, my feelings about mega corporations, I am very glad that titles like Marvel who were going down the tubes in the early two thousands, um, were bought by Disney and then this, that this gets to happen. So anyway, let's get started. So yeah, um, I guess the only place to really start from here is Iron Man three. So so what did you have a hard time with? Was it like let's let's be honest with ourselves here? Was it where you were personally at when starting to watch it with the rewatch of a rewatch of a rewatch, or like what are or versus what are your like legitimate notes? Like I do remember my initial rewatch a couple months ago, there was just a lot of vindication. There was just a lot of vindication in my feelings of just like, okay, yep, no. I just feel more right in what I originally said. Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3, they're redundant. Like, you squish them into oh, one movie. Oh, as in like, you squish them together. You squish them into one movie, and it's just like, it does the same thing. You know, you have the Tony Stark relapse into being an asshole in both of them. You have the whole consequences of who he used to be coming back to bite him. It's like, they're not that different of stories to the point where both of them have a billionaire with personal reasons and listing, you know, other people who do more of the muscle dirty work. 
and also tensions with Pepper now being the CEO and being sick of Tony's shit. It's just like, they're too similar. I don't, I'm fine with them being similar, but I think they're too similar. And do you think that, uh, do you think that saying that in your original criticism from last time of Iron Man two, that Iron Man three is the, is the one that's carrying more of the weight. If you were to merge them. Um, I think it's shockingly close in my head. I think it's shockingly 50, 50, like, See, I really don't. I don't agree with that. If if we're going on that premise, I think that Iron Man three does so much better, like so much more heavy lifting, because I think it's. It, I think you're right. I think it's a lot of the same themes repeated from the other Iron Man movies. I just think this one does it better. It's like with two, you got Hammer, who makes sense. You have the, not alcoholism, but the kind of the allusions to alcoholism and the whole like kind of dealing with vices in a more broad general sense that mm-hmm. is a very key part of Tony Stark's character um that stuff is all fine and then to- and then Iron Man 3 oh, I almost called it Tony Stark 3 holy shit uh <laughs> in Iron Man 3 um I like bringing back the 10 rings not for Tony, but to just remind us that they exist. Yeah. Um, and I do like the character of, I don't, I don't even remember her name, but the female antagonist. Uh, Mariah. Mariah. I like just the idea of that. I like purely the idea of that character. And I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty well-known secret at this point that she was supposed to be our Aldridge Killian. Um, and that the, and that, uh, the, what's his face who used to be in charge of Marvel said, nope, boy toys, gotta have a boy villain. And they basically rewrote her completely. Makes no fucking sense. And wrote her as a sideline. Yeah, it's stupid. Because in what better way to give Tony comeuppance for who he used to be than to have a female antagonist after all of his fucking shenanigans with women? Like... Fucking, I mean, well, then you also have to have the thing of, like, Tony has to defeat her. But, yeah, still. Um, like... I mean, here's the thing. I think that they probably still would have had some other person in the organization of AIM to to basically have her be like, hey, I can fix extremists and you can fix it with me. Um, and then somebody... And then he says no. And so she either, like, that's her breaking point where she becomes the true, like, no-turning-back villain... Or someone else in AIM would have been like, well, kill Mariah now because she can't be bloodthirsty. And then he just has to deal with some generic extremist, um, you know, plot. I think I truly think they would have they would have probably dealt with her in the exact same way, just because that's the way Marvel does that kind of villain. Um, I think she would have been largely the same and someone else without with less of a face than Aldrich Killian would have just done the same thing. Honestly, I don't care about extremists, like, at all. You couldn't pay me. Um, I will say, just to finish the thought, like, I think one of the best things that Iron Man 3 offers is Shane Black and his Shane Blackness and having Tony... Like, all the stuff where Tony has to think quickly and be Iron Man without the suit, I think I would love to keep all of that if I can... 
because it reminds yeah. you that like yeah tony's more than just a fucking suit um that's the best part of that movie yeah that's easily the best in part. my opinion the is him is the is the p a, a the ptsd um i think having rewatched that the, that it was actually done for the time remarkably well um, I think the only time that I was kind of like, ah, oh, that's not fair to actual PTSD is when Har, uh, when Harvey on the phone with him is like, well, why don't you just build something? And then he kind of stops having a panic attack. I'm like, that's not really how that is. Um, but beyond that, like, yeah, him having to deal with that and can't, he can't, you know, even think about the, those events and it, he can't sleep and, and all these other things. I think that, and it's not done in a, like, like, a you know, totally spiraling out of control. It's a little bit more grounded. It's like, you know, let's understand this person. Let's not psychoanalyze him. Uh, my only thing is that I don't want to say, cause it's inaccurate to say, but I, I don't want to say it's dropped, but like, I feel like for something like that, I feel like there needs to be a bit more done with it in the sense of like aftermath in the sense of like, yeah, it would have been nice to see at the end Tony go to like a fucking goddamn mother shitting therapist. Fuck. Yeah, totally. That guy needs it. The truth of it is that like it's almost as though when you write that script, there wasn't room enough in the third, this end of the second act and the third act for it because of how they're like, we're writing an action movie. Um, like there could have been there could have been more obstacles in the final scene that were about that internally with him than literal bad guys. Like there there's plenty to do there, but I think that you're definitely right where that yeah, it's it, it is kind of dropped. And then it's picked up as motivation and back like character background in the rest of the MCU. If the film was maybe like bookended by therapy sessions, mm-hmm. that would have been interesting. Wait, isn't there actually Wait a minute, is that the post credit scene for this movie? No, no. What one of them This actually might be one of the only ones without a post credit scene. One of them definitely has a post credit scene where Tony is talking to or someone is talking to Banner. Oh, yeah, no, no, you're right. That is that. That that is that. And and Banner's like, Tony, I'm not a therapist. No, you're you're exactly right. That was this post credit scene. Holy shit. I this is how I know. See again. It's more not vindication. a memorable post-credit scene. <laughs> That's amazing. I completely forgot something was in a Marvel movie and then I pitched it. Damn, I'm good. <laughs> oh god, that's funny. Um but yeah, I do remember that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh this movie, I remember the bit that I did rewatch from the rewatch of the rewatch. Um, I'm immediately, well, first off, I'm like, there's no need to start in 1999. None. There's, there's just, there's just no reason to start in 1999 other than I think they wanted to start with the song. They just wanted the song. (laughs) And they also wanted the visual of the suits blowing up over narration of Tony, to which I still maintain, like, well, if you want narration from Tony, yeah, just book in the movie with therapist visits. That's an easy way to do narration. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I'm going to ignore Gwyneth Paltrow for now. I don't like the bickering. I, I'm over it. I'm, I've had enough. And the jealousy angle is just weird. I don't. I didn't see that. 
Because Happy, Happy like is like, hey, hey, there's this guy sniffing around Pepper, and so he shows how big his dick is by buying a big ass teddy bear, and I'm like, are you? Wait, are you actually? You're Tony Stark. Are you actually threatening? I don't. <laughs> I, I I actually don't think that that's. I mean, that's just not how I read that. I read I read that as not so much that Tony is jealous of Aldrich Killian. I think I think when I think when Happy says that about Aldrich Killian, because actually Happy is the is the inciting incident. It's Happy's attitude about everything that gets Tony involved in any of this at all. Um, and I always it like that was one of those things that I did get reminded in this this watch was like, oh, wait, yeah, Happy's the reason Happy did his own investigating and then got injured and, you know, put in a coma. And that's why Tony like really starts this whole process. Um, and I think it's actually very smartly played out the way they use like the the him finding the explosions and going to Tennessee. Like, um, I think that's actually a very smart way to do it. Well, yeah. um, but Anyway, back to the jealousy thing. I think Happy's the one who's who's goading that. I think Tony I gives it the bunny because of everything that he's doing. Everything that he's not doing. Like, everything that he is... I think it has nothing to do with Aldrich Killian, quite frankly. Because Pepper is also well, like, I'm not going to be around this guy. I don't like this guy at all. Killian is not what I'm saying is specifically the issue. The issue is that I think... And it's not just jealousy. I think it's also a combination of guilt and jealousy oh, yeah. just like well if i'm not treating pepper the way that she needs to be treated there is always the threat of somebody that might treat her better and i only say it's a specifically a jealousy thing because there is a point in the conversation where tony specifically says uh are, are you busy you're busy you're busy doing stuff with aldrich killian maybe and there's a very pointed moment where pepper goes like Oh, what the fuck? Are you serious? So it's like, that's where I'm like, yeah, are you serious? This is, this is weak. <laughs> like, I mean, he's a very flawed character. Um, he but is. here's the thing, is that like, I guess I didn't mind it so much because I felt that the, that up until that point, the conflict between the two of them was pretty, like, was pretty legitimate and like well-structured in like, that she like it's about like when they're in bed and he has the panic attack and the suit comes to rescue him. Like I actually thought that that was a moment where it's like they had a conversation earlier that night about like, hey, you don't need to do this on your own and you're uh, actively avoiding me and becoming this hermit because you can't cope with these things and you also gave me a company to run, so I can't necessarily be there for you and I'm gonna be there for you as much as I can. And then they go to sleep and then another thing breaks the camel's back. Um, and so I felt like Pepper was actually very justified in her feelings through that whole arc of the movie. And then she kind of gets sidelined when she gets kidnapped. Um, well, and so it's like, all right, I was, I'm with you on, until like after the iron, the armor incident where he calls it in his sleep. And then she just kind of goes like, fuck this. I'm late. I'm gone. And I'm like, yeah, well, what about all the shit you just said? <laughs> Well, like, I think it's also like you have to basically assume. I know they don't get married until phase three, but they're pretty much married. They're pretty point. much married, and so like, and so like, yeah, that's a bigger, better response. Where it's like, I'm sleeping in the guest room. Like, I'm like, this is the our relationship is too deep and too too nuanced to where this is going to be something where I'm going to leave you over. Um, but this is clearly a problem. And then once the actual danger starts, I think if if Tony had survived quote-unquote survived the attack on his home 
um, and had been with her, she probably would have been like, yeah, I'm leaving you until you figure this the fuck out. Um, like, we're going to figure this out together and then I'm going to leave you is probably what would have happened. But that's not how the story went. Uh, the last thing I will say. Well, OK, there's I was going to say the last thing before we move on, because Lord knows we have m- so much more. But yeah, there's another obligatory thing that we have to mention when talking about Iron Man three, but first the whole, you gave your home address to the world thing is weird to me. Cause I feel like someone like Tony Stark is weird to be off the grid. I've always right. thought that since the first time I saw this movie, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like they probably could have found it. Yeah. Like people don't know where Tony Stark lives. He's not exactly hiding. Like, He's had big notable parties in the in the previous movie. He had a huge party where everyone was there, and like you can probably see his house from a boat, and people probably give tours, be like, "And that one's Tony Stark's house." Yeah. So that part was kind of weird because they—it's only weird because they make such a big issue about it. Like, that's my only. Thing. Well. I think I think it might just be. I mean, in terms of dialogue, I don't think you're wrong, but I think in terms of dialogue, when he's saying things like, "Yeah, I just gave my home address to a terrorist. We gotta be safe." I think that's him being snarky. I don't think that's necessarily like, "Oh, this was the mistake." I think they would have come after him some way or another anyway. Um, yeah, you know, I think that I think that he was on Aldrich Killian's hit list for a long time. Well, yeah, and so like you know, it's just a uh, he he played a chess piece, and they went okay. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think the last thing, which is just, uh, I am kind of a little bit on the side of, I'm, I'm not on either extreme side, but I am slightly more on the side of like, well, if you don't want to do the Mandarin, why even bring up the Mandarin? <laughs> Like I think with with where Disney was at that time with the history of Asian characters in Marvel, it was a smart move. I don't think it was smart and to now be- we get the real one in a place where we're better about Asian representation and villains. But here's the thing. It's like, well then just don't bring up the Mandarin. Like why even bring it up? You can just not do the Mandarin. <laughs> that's a th- that's an option. You could just I I don't like the we- <sighs> I don't like the weak bait and switch of just like ha huh, the Mandarin's a joke now. Not because it, you must do right by the Mandarin. Like no fuck that. I'm just like that in the sense of. Well, okay, like there are other villains. I'm sure Iron Man has other villains. You could have just done another villain. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what they're doing with Armor Wars, which is going to star Don Cheadle and the person who does the Ironheart show, is that they're going to do, like, those other other villains with suits, um, which is the rest of his villains, pretty much. Yeah. It's like, his Tony Stark's villains are villains with suits or villains in suits, but, like, the corporate kind. Which I will bring up in a bit. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh... Um, yeah, this is why also, this is just more vindication for my thing of like Iron Man two and three should have just been one movie because then it's just like, yeah, if you make hammer 
Mar- Mariah? Yeah. Okay. If you make Hammer Mariah and you give her the big, uh, uh, like, bot army, and you, I mean, if you really want to have Whiplash, I guess you can have Whiplash. But, like, if you go about it that way and then, like, Tony's hubris, you know, strands him and he has to figure things out the old-fashioned way and get back to his roots and all that fun stuff, it's like, well, then, yeah, you just did another probably better movie, better Iron Man movie, without the Mandarin. And then when you're ready to actually bring out the Mandarin, like they're going to probably do now, soon, now it's just like, okay, cool, awesome. I, I just don't re- I don't really get the need, because Disney's been on this kick for most of the 2010s of there always needs to be a fucking twist. And I'm like, there really doesn't, guys. You don't, you don't always have to do a twist. Like... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm trying to think of other Marvel movies with a twist. I'm thinking of Disney movies with a twist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's my only thing. Uh, Iron Man 3 is just kind of... Oh, and also just the ending's just big and loud. And I don't... After a certain point, I don't care. I was going to say about this, like, yeah, he, the, the Iron Man movies, A, they resolved so much quicker than all the rest of them. Like, th- this is the only trilogy that gets done before Phase 3. Um, and he does tend to go on the same arc at a higher level three times. And then proceeds to have this entirely separate character development through Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame. Um, and Spider-Man like, and, Homecoming. And Homecoming. Like, he has another five-movie arc God. after this. Which I'm, uh, you know, it, I can't say it wasn't well done. Just hijacks other does. people's movies. <laughs> the dude, the dude, like, literally people have studied this empirically. Having Tony, having Robert Downey Jr. in the movie at all makes the movie more money. Like, compared to other Marvel movies. If he, if the character is in it at all, it made more money. Is just a fat, flat out truth, and so like that's why when people are like, "Oh, clearly like they couldn't keep paying Robert Downey Jr.," it's like, no, they would have totally kept shelling out for Robert Downey Jr. because it's proven to work. He chose to end the character, and so like you know that's a whole thing. But yeah, it, it's like you know it is it it is an anomaly that I'm not like terribly upset about. But yeah, he gets a completely separate arc, whereas. Captain America arc is is his three movies and then Infinity War and Endgame. Like his arc continues and doesn't stop through those movies. Um, and so and Thor too. Thor uh, has a tiny little ripple arc in the in the first two phases and then gets a real arc in phase three. And so it's very interesting to see that like Iron Man kind of had like people were questioning. It's like oh wait, is he gonna just we know he's going to be in the ensemble movies, but like, is he going to be Iron Man? Are they going to have Don Cheadle do it? Like, what's going to happen? That was a real question at the time. And so I I just think it's interesting that that is something that is unique about this trilogy. Look, man, I just want one Spider-Man movie that's all about Tom Holland, Tom Holland, Spider-Man. That's all I want. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. I think the, the thing is that I can't talk to you about. I can't talk to you about No Way Home because there are things in Loki that are creating implications no. for what everybody thinks is going to happen in Spider-Man. God um, damn it. 
but I can't talk to you about that. And I don't think you'd be upset. I think you'd be actually okay with this, but I can't talk to you about it because you haven't watched the show. God damn it. Uh, so we got to start moving through these. Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World. <laughs> this will be quick. This is, this is, it's pretty straightforward. All the stuff with Thor is fine. It's okay. All of the shit with humans. I'm over it. I don't want to see it. I'm no. Like with Selvik going crazy and the intern and anything on Earth, I'm out. I'm not interested. And they also they kind of make Jane Foster stupid, even though she does like solve the problem in the end with her like with with Selvig's like poles that do like the the interdimensional thing. Like it's convoluted, and she she like she solves the problem, but she's also she's also literally the object they carry around that has the Infinity Stone. And that sucks. And that's why she and that's why she quit. That's why Natalie Portman's like, no, fuck this. I'm done with this. I'm not dealing with your bullshit anymore, Kevin Feige. Um, and then Taika Waititi had to ask her to come back. And so, like, yeah, I totally understand. Like, and I also want you to watch WandaVision because Darcy's really good in it. So I mean, that's just because I have faith in Kat Dennings. Like, I just think Kat Dennings right. is talented. I don't think they gave her shit to work with that was good. Right. And then people just assume that Kat Dennings' whole character just needed to be thrown out with the bathwater. And I'm like, that's not the problem, guys. <laughs> like, honestly, honestly, the only people who got anything to work with in this movie Tom. were Tom Hiddleston <laughs> and Rene Russo. And Anthony Hopkins, but I think Anthony Hopkins went the route of just like, well, I'm just going to ham up the shit out of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm only in the first half of the movie, and I'm just going to be Odin. Um, but Rene Russo... Your birthright was to die. Rene Russo got to be a character. <laughs> Sorry. Like, Rene Russo got to just be a character for a moment. And even though she gets fridged... Um, and that's totally 100% for Loki and Thor's relationship. Um, she actually does a good job. And and then Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston gets to tug at everybody's heartstrings, be redeemed, change up the character from what Joss Whedon made him, um, and have a relationship with Thor and have this death scene that we all thought would potentially be his actual end, and then gets to make the twist at the end. And then the twist is then undercut again by Taika Waititi. Um, Which I'll get to. And so, like, right. And so... Like Thor, but like Chris Eccleston, like why did you do that to him? Why did you give him nothing with this character? Because Malekith is kind of like super Loki in the comics. Like Malekith is like incredible tactician. Like he's like you know it, like incredibly powerful magic, huge armies, able to like sway. You could have gotten Malekith and the Dark Elves to like sway other kingdoms against Asgard and made it like that and then do the convergence where he will get, like, his ultimate power. It's like, you could have done so much more with that and given the character some actual motive, except we're going to attack Asgard. Okay, it worked. All right, great. Now I'm going to go into my chambers and sleep until there's a new opportunity. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Like, it's like, oh, God, I'm, I'm, I'm already I'm sick of this, and it sucks what you did to him. Um, and that's really all my notes on Thor of the Dark World. Thor of the Dark World was a misfire yeah. in so many regards. It's all. It all goes back. Just, it's just the wrong, like the wrong story. It's the only one that I will say. Like, yeah, this is the wrong story. Just goes. It just more vindication. <laughs> because just God, what is 
what are Thor's friends even for? Right. Like, like, it's just, I'm just so upset because, like, they had the opportunity to do a big fantasy epic series. They just didn't do it for no reason. You could have had, a like, a world's trekking, you know, quest of proving yourself with all these friends that play pivotal parts and, you know, you go to all these different realms. You know, like Thor Ragnarok. No, because they're only in one place. Like... But even still, the character development and the people that he brings along the way actually matter. I will reserve my comments on Thor Ragnarok for whenever we get... Whenever we get there. You're gonna... You're gonna... You're gonna be... You are gonna be in boiling water when we get to Phase 3. Because Phase 3 is the... I can already Life. tell. I can already highest quality. <laughs> I can already tell. I'm gonna have takes about phase three that people are gonna they're gonna be pissed about. <laughs> yeah. Multiple takes. <laughs> oh wait, no, I'm thinking about phase four. I'm thinking about phase four. Um Torgy Dark Word. Uh yeah, the I mean, for me, the main thing is just like it's kind of dealing with the ripple effect of phase one. Of just, like, there wasn't a lot to really capitalize on with the first Thor. The best part is Loki, and also Loki was the villain in Avengers, so it's like, the story's gotta be real Loki-focused, and... He he had more growth than Thor did in the time between the end of Thor and the end of Thor the Dark World. I mean, even in just the first Thor movie, like, Loki's an infinitely more interesting character than Thor. You're running into the Dark Knight problem, where your titular character is now less interesting than your villain or your notable other character. Like, I I know it's probably hard to write Thor. Thor's a literal god. But there are Thor comics. Multiples. They exist. Like, I'm not saying to do a one-to-one adaptation of any of the arcs, but, like, use them as a launch point to give Thor more of an identity, a personality, a drive, an arc, a thing that's not Natalie Portman, please. Like, I just... That's also why I don't quite like them immediately going to Earth in the first Thor movie. I'm like, if you keep it contained to all the other realms that aren't Earth for the first movie, you get to do, you know, things that aren't a love story. Then you can focus on the love story because, honestly, I'm not watching Thor for Jane Foster. That's just that's just how it is. Right. I'm sorry. I, I mean, quite frankly, when we talk about, like, Marvel romances, we watch it for, like, we barely watch it for Tony and Pepper. No, like no. Gamora no. And, and Gamora and Peter. And like Ooh. that's it. Like the other I mean, until until you get to WandaVision. Um, like you're really well, not watching these for the romances. Well, the first Captain America was actually really good with that. Oh yes, and Steven Peggy. Um but then like, yeah, after Peggy's gone, th- those movies are not about his romances, and they shouldn't be. And I hate when they do that. Um and so, like, you know, we're not watching this. If this was supposed to be the the anchor romance, it didn't work. No. There's so many things that don't work. 
to your point, I I had this coworker a while back, and we would talk about Thor, and he he was actually on the side of like Thor should be way over the top to counter other characters, like like completely like in Shakespearean all the time, and I don't agree with that. But his reasoning was that like there's a story arc in like an old Thor comic where like he has to defeat like uh, Mangog or something like that. It's like you know some sort of mythologically based. Um, kind of really out there villain. And he stumbles upon this, this old man who was like a disgraced warrior who like abandoned his post in Asgard. Um, and he ends up like helping Thor. And in the end, Thor like is able to like give him redemption and like bless him with the powers of a god at the end. And then they defeat the guy together. And I'm very much paraphrasing this, but it's like those are stories that are from Thor's comics that could be immensely interesting. So even if you did send Thor to Earth, what if he was sent to Earth and he has like he has he meets like Lieutenant Dan essentially from Forrest Gump and has to redeem him because that's who Thor is. And like so like that's those are things that you could play with with Thor to Kingdom Come. Yeah, I mean, all of these things, all of the things we're saying are valid. It's just there are so many mistakes, so many mistakes made with Thor, like god but then but then you have the winter soldier and i I swear to god it's like night and day (laughs) it's just like oh my god you guys showed up everything right you hit everything right how and like i it's 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 interesting to say because it's like at no point was the winter soldier being bucky ever a twist not to people so that know to, anything to, about Captain America, no. Well, but even then, I truly think that, like, it was a... Like, literally, I think Marvel was like, look, this is so easy to find on the internet of, like, people talking about it. Because people on the internet have been talking about Bucky when he fell off that train from day one. And so, th- I think Marvel went into it going, like, yes, Sebastian Stan is, is the Winter Soldier. And so it's like, clearly, the actor is the same actor... We're not going to make this a twist. And yet they still did it wonderfully because they made it about their relationship and not about the shock factor. They made it about what Bucky could do and the limitations of who can Steve trust in this whole situation? Can he trust Fury? Can he trust S.H.I.E.L.D.? Um, You know, and and then pairing him up with the people they paired him up with who were great foils to him. Um, It's just, it, it is one of the closest, one of the closest things to a perfect Marvel. I mean, there's not a lot of missteps in the approach. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the approach is absolutely dead on. It's exactly what a modern Captain America movie needed to be. And this is the thing that drives me fucking crazy. Is that it's like... The Iron Man sequels constantly fail at doing anything interesting with Iron Man. The Thor movies in general constantly fumble Thor. And then, out of nowhere, they immediately get the first Captain America right pretty much dead on. And then the sequel just does it better. Just, like, keeps running with it. And I'm like, okay, so what is it that is either not working or working way too well? Like, what... Like, what is happening here? Because this... Well, I think... I think Steve's code of... Like, code of ethics 
and what he believes freedom to be and what he believes like the right thing is, is very compelling to audiences. But on paper, technically, the Iron Man movies have also been doing that, kind of. Like, taking a mirror to Iron Man and, you know, having him face, you know, his demons and people that kind of are him, or at least aspects of him, but it always falls flat. It's like, they don't quite... It's like... They know how to write it down on a sheet of paper, but they don't know the genesequa of, like, how to just do a fucking good Iron Man story. And it's like, here, none of that happens. Like, they just get it. They just know exactly the perfect way to challenge Captain America, to reinforce Captain America's views, to give him an interesting and compelling compelling villain to give him an interesting and compelling story to give him like you said natural great foils and it's just like i mean yeah the iconic line of uh i do what he does just slower like and also setting them up with sam working at the va and just r- them meeting like natural friends uh like on you know at the capitol it's like you know it it it, it just makes it makes sense. And it makes sense that he's working with S.H.I.E.L.D. because that's kind of all he knows how to do. And Black Widow becomes one of his main confidants, but he doesn't totally trust her right away. And they have to build that trust. And he has to build trust with Fury. And it, they just successfully do it. They successfully build trust across them. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I think what we're getting into now is the the three directions of the big three. And as Marvel gets bigger, it becomes less about these big three because obviously they're all dying. Um, but about Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor. And a lot of times it's just the dichotomy of, of Iron Man and Captain America where it's like Iron Man is the hero who has all the demons and all the things to improve and all the, all the world to save and will is constantly falling short of who he should be until the final end of... Uh, you know, Avengers Endgame, where he becomes the guy who, you know, again, once again, defies what everyone thinks of him and lays down on the wire and saves the world using his intelligence and his his heart and, his, you know, proof that Tony Stark has a heart um, to unite everyone and and save the day. Captain America is already that person. And I think that the the difference there is that this is somebody who is already that person having to then help the world meet his ideals as opposed to meeting the ideals of the world. And Thor, I think, the best thing that Taika Waititi did for him and that Endgame did for him was that he is also an ideal, but he's an ideal who should... He he, he is a man who is destined to be king who shouldn't be and who doesn't really... has to figure out who he is because he's always fit in a label. And those labels don't truly fit all that he can be. Um, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm quoting Loki, the Loki series real quick, um, just because like uh, Owen Wilson's character, this isn't spoiling anything, but Owen Wilson's character is kind of calling him out being like, why do you want to be just the God of guy? Why do you just want the throne of Asgard when you have so much range? Why, why limit yourself to that? And I think that's a, a parallel between Loki and Thor. It's like, you are two people who are stuck in this throne situation, who you're both so much more than that. 
And that is your story. Those are your stories. And so it's the three of them all circling these ideals. Either they already meet it and they don't, and they have more to give to the world. Either they meet it and they have to impose it on the world or they don't meet it. And that's the struggle. Yeah. It just sounds like Marvel for some reason is really good at a flat character arc, but kind of struggles with just other character arcs. But like, I feel like they've done at least one good redemption arc at some point. I'm not going to sit here and try and figure out which one, but like, yeah, for some reason they're, they're good at a flat character arc. And for those that don't know, a flat character arc is somebody that doesn't necessarily change over the course of their story, but changes the world and characters around them because of who they are. Like, uh, one of the most infamous example, one of the two most infamous examples is Son Goku and Superman. Like, those are the two big, obvious, like, yeah, these are flat character arcs. Their goodness influences everyone and everything around them. And their strength naturally invites challenge. So that's just how those stories tend to go. And Captain America is the same way. Then maybe, I mean, maybe it's a case then of... Because that's what superheroes, quote unquote, are to many people, that Superman and Captain America get to be superheroes that then impart goodness onto the world, whereas the rest of the characters are very much those. It's that that old joke uh, that people made about DC versus Marvel is that like DC are gods trying to be people and Marvel are people trying to be gods. And I don't think that's accurate because I think that puts I think that gives so much more credit to DC where it shouldn't be um but it does make sense in that way where it's like captain america gets to be that person because that's kind of what superheroes are or at least what they started as which is frustrating because the answers and the incriminating evidence is right there it's why movies like winter soldier and first avenger are so cathartic and it's also why wonder woman was so cathartic because it mm-hmm. starts to put a magnifying glass and make everyone super acutely aware of the fact that, hey, how come so few of our superhero movies are about superheroes being heroic and selfless and empathetic? Why does it only get to happen with the Boy Scout and the woman? Like, w- you can have other people be nice. You can have other people go out of their way to be selfless. And those people can still be flawed because I know. I think that's why Thor Ragnarok works. You keep bringing up this movie. I refuse to talk about it. Because I know that the second I start talking about Thor Ragnarok, it's going to become a thing. Um, (laughs) All right. Um, I won't push that. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to talk about it. I just know we're going to talk about it later. Um, but, I mean, this is just... A, and also, also, this is a thing that I just have for the entire MCU. Winter Soldier is also good because it gets to be another fucking genre for once. Mm-hmm. And I'm baffled at how few times they actually do other genres. Because, statistically... Every time they've fucking done it, it's been successful. Huh. 
How about that? The one time you did a spy thriller genre in Winter Soldier, it worked. The one time you did a teen comedy coming of age movie, it worked. So you did a heist movie, it worked. Well, we'll get there. Um <laughs> such a dick. <laughs> I don't try to be, but it's like so I get set up way too well. <laughs> just just own it. Just own it, TJ. Don't don't go back and go. I'm not trying to be. Just own I, it. Look, no, I already think that I'm a bastard. I can't also say I am. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> That's a good But yeah, I mean like I think Winter Soldier does does set that, you know, does set that other genre perfectly with the whole boat scene. The whole boat scene is an awesome like spy espionage secret agent like yeah. montage of him just like sneaking up on the boat, running through, just kicking people off the side. Um and then having the twist of like, oh, Natasha's here for another reason. What could that be? And then going to Fury and having talks with Fury and talks with Pierce and and then shit hitting the fan when Fury gets gets knocked and he has to run from shield. Like it, it's like, it's perfectly, it's perfectly structured for that kind of tension. Cause like they know of who the, can you trust. How do you get away? They know the exact questions that we actually would want answered. That's the trick mm-hmm. is like, we specifically want to know what Nat's doing. We specifically are interested in the conversation between Fury and Captain America. We specifically are interested in where this is going because things are kind of naturally leading into the next scene. It's not just like these are disconnected scenes that are eventually going to have a meeting point. No, no. This scene directly leads into this one, which directly leads into that one, which direct. And so it keeps your interest and it keeps your focus. And that's, I literally felt that. I felt differently watching this movie than I have basically any other MCU movie So at the time of watching. Because I'm just like, they, there's been a lot of just people talking to each other scenes. And I'm not like bored. I'm not really checking my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm not like overtly invested, but I'm interested. I'm interested to see like what happens when this character says this. What's the reaction? What is what story are they going to tell? What it, are they being honest? Like and it's I'm doing this with a movie that I've already seen before. That's the sign of that's the sign of a good movie because it goes from wondering where it's going next when you originally see the movie to when you rewatch it, it's trying to pick up on cues. It's trying to kind of, Mm -hmm. like, see where the cracks are in this story. Or it's trying to see, okay, now that I know where it's going... You're returning to the journey. Yeah. Like, you know, and maybe some of that is me as an actor and as somebody who's interested in studying writing. I like to see, like, to get up in the bones of it and, like, see how things work on a fundamental level. I actually don't think that's just you being a writer. I actually think that's something that we all subconsciously do, whether we realize it or not. I think that that's part of rewatching movies and enjoying them is, is being able to retake the journey and have the journey hold up so well that you get satisfied by the beats regardless. 
I think subconsciously we're all doing that and picking up on cues and everything anyway when we do those rewatches of movies we like. And I don't I don't think it's like a you have to know script stuff to to have that kind of human nature reason why why we listen to stories multiple times anyway. No, yeah. I wasn't trying to say like, you know, it's because I'm like I know specific things. Just in the sense of like right. watching Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson work. Watching like mm-hmm. Sam Jackson have more nuance than I think people give him credit for. It's like watching the like inner machinations of a performance. Noting mm-hmm. how like this line was said for a specific reason. It was said at this specific time, written with this specific word choice. And it's like, this is a great movie to do that with because it's mainstream enough to where if you just want to turn your brain off, it's there for that. But also there are a bunch of little things that just work really well. And you can tell they're all decisions. Nothing's an accident. Like Mm -hmm. Chris Evans just plays the fuck out of Captain America. You know, I personally, I've heard people not agree with this, but I personally really like what they've done with Black Widow. They've they've given her an actual Mm -hmm. personality. They've given her an opinion on herself. The best counter argument to that is that somebody said, uh, some uh, somebody I follow once said that like you could have done this and made it Natasha's movie. Like this could have been a Black Widow movie that happened to feature Stephen Bucky's relationship. And it's it, the so that's the only thing that's unfair to her is that she's playing such a massive role and getting so much better screen time than half of her other appearances in this movie to where this could have been a Black Widow movie and just continued Steve's story with it. Although I do, as I've you know tipped my hand before, I do kind of not like it when people kind of have to share you know, spotlights when it's clearly their journey, you know, stuff like that. So I do kind of have to draw the line of like, well, if Captain America is having this much stuff to do, I do like that it is still a Captain America movie, but I do. Yeah, that's fair. I feel that way when we get to Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think it should have just been the Wasp. Yeah. Like when, when we get there, like that's, that's when I will a hundred percent agree with you is like, yes, this should have been, this should have been Hope's movie. You won't have to wait too long to talk about that. Okay. So, uh, Anything else on Winter Soldier specifically? Because we've already ranted and raved that it was good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, there's so many things. I think it has some of the best fights. Yep. Um, like, the knife the knife fight on the street is one of the best. I mean, given it's still cut up, it's still, like, shot for shot for shot. But you can tell that that's just different angles on the same sequence. Like, there's a difference between, like, okay, cool. We're doing two seconds of the fight. Okay, stop. Okay, two seconds more of the fight. Okay, stop. Like, this is clearly, like, they're doing this fight, and they just happen to be using different angles of the same scene um, that is happening in real time that they piece together. And so, like, that, I can't, like, you know, that fight alone. And then also the, the end sequence, having to hop between, uh, you know, having to hop between the helicarriers, having Sam's powers, uh, his, his suit, like, bring so much excitement and possibilities to the plot and the way that these fights and the way that the story plays out um, and how much aid he can give to, to, to Steve and Nat 
and having Nat go undercover as the, you know, as the, uh, and the Angela Merkel character, um, you know, those, those things all just line up so fucking perfectly. And it's, it's a, it's a really good movie. It is. Um, I think at the risk of prolonging this conversation even further, I do have to kind of harken back to an opinion I had about the first Avenger. I forget if I brought it up in that first uh, episode we did on phase one, but like I've seen a lot of people talk about Bucky. I've seen a lot of people talk about Cap and Bucky. I've seen a lot of people go, I love Bucky. I love Sebastian Stan in these movies. I love they're so great. And it's just, I can't help. I cannot help but go like, you know, if Bucky was in the first Avenger more, if he did more, if I saw him and him and Steve's relationship more, I'd probably agree with you. But the way it is, I just have to take their word for it. That's one of the only objective problems I have with Winter Soldier is it really relies on you giving a shit about Bucky. And if you kind of don't, it's like the story still works. Everything's still fine. But it kind of makes you go, I kind of wish I did care more about Bucky a little bit. But you should watch the Falcon. All right, moving on. (laughs) I mean, that's literally part of why it exists is to give you that. It's, and I personally think it succeeds. It's also too late, though. I mean, <laughs> it's not too late. Like we've already. I mean, oh, you mean that? Like you wish you would have gotten it then? I get. Yeah. That. No, no. Well, you get you get good shit though. It's not. Oh like, yeah, I'm not denying that there's it's not like, good oh, shit. Oh yeah, the package was late, but the package was still what you wanted. Um. So just that's all I'll say. Yeah. Which brings us to Guardians. Ooh boy. Again, two in a row of we are going to we are going we started low. We are doing the middle very high, and then we are doing the end low on your end, medium on my end. Guardians is okay. It's pretty good. I love Guardians. I could watch that movie again and again. This I'll I will go ahead and chalk this up to like I this is one of the times where because people like to just think I only work in like absolutes, like a Sith Lord. Um, but it's kind of some things are contextual. Some things I'll do in this event, some things I'll do differently in a different event. So this is one of the times where I will actually be the first one to say that, no, this is a movie that I just think is pretty good because I have high standards. Yeah. I don't even think Guardians does all that wrong. It's just. It's okay. It's pretty good. So what you're saying is that you have high standards and it is meeting a baseline of standards. Meeting a baseline of quality is a good way to describe Guardians for me. Um, Because while there are a lot of things that I think a lot of people would agree with me on, like, okay, if you tweak this, the movie would only get better. Or if you just took this out, the movie would only get better. Like... Many things have been said about Ronan the goddamn accuser. I think this is one of just the objective, like... I mean, yes, like Malekith, he could have just been done a little better. I mean, 
no fault to the actor or anything. It's just even if they were going for somebody like, you know, trying to get somebody boringly evil, even then, even that, you could have done better, in my opinion. Like, you can do boringly evil and have it be funny, especially if you're doing it purposefully. Like, or not even funny, but just, like, interesting when you finally get the juxtaposition between the guy that takes himself seriously versus people like the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, I think that could have been done better. And that's just a thing that is just, like, I'm not even saying that it's necessarily bad the way it is. I just know it could be done better. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I think that they very much they very much did go out of their way to make just Lee Pace like straight up straight character. But then he never really interacts with the non straight characters like he is around Nebula and Thanos and all those all those people who are also playing it straight. And so, yeah, you don't get a lot of moments where it's like it's fun because he's playing straight and they're not. And you don't really get that till the end when they beat him. Um, but all that aside, yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those moments where it's like, yeah, it's it's really not about him. <laughs> it's not what people like about this movie has nothing to do with Ronan the Accuser. Yeah. It's just, you know, typically a villain of a movie is pretty important. Yeah, they had they had a lot of other things to work to work with, okay? Um at the time, at the time, I would have said, uh, I don't need Yondu. Like, I remember looking back and, like, thinking about it and being like, I guess I don't really need Yondu. And then they did something with him in the next one. So I'm like, okay, cool. But, like, yeah, I probably didn't need Yondu that much. He, he definitely served, like, a means to an end. And they did something cool with him with the whole Arrow stuff, which I think gave us a moment of, like, oh, who's this cool character who we didn't really think was going to be that important? Um, but I think that... I think the way that they kind of stack their chips to get the team united, it's, I mean, it's better than Avengers in the way that they unite. I think it's more fun and more fun to watch them get together and have those dynamics with each other. Cause I think they're more outrageous as a whole um, and playing off of each other in a very interesting way where you have Drax's way of seeing the world and Gamora's way of seeing the world and Peter being Peter and, and Rocket being snarky as fuck and Groot saying, I am Groot. I think it's like, when you it's it's like the the it's the recipe of like let's go ham and have just a shit ton of fun and people are gonna like it. Question. Yes. How would you describe Peter? Um, the lovable rogue. Which, as time bears on and Chris Pratt does more dumb shit, it's getting harder to like. And uh, how would specifically would you say he differs from Rocket? Um, Rocket is uh, more of a pessimist and more ruthless. I think that Quill is using charm where Rocket is using wit. Um, Like, that's not to say that both of them can't be. Actually, no, I will say this. Rocket's not charming, per se. He's charming to us as a character from an external standpoint, but the way that Rocket interacts with people around him is not charm. Whereas Quill is, if you know, to use D&D terms, like his charisma is his highest stat. You know, his, his ability to charm people. Like, I mean, think about how he got Gamora to stop trying to kill him. Um, he did it because he's like, look, I'm just charming. I have a point to make that we can help each other out. And, you know, I'm digging you. 
I don't know what you're thinking about this. And, you know, I think you're actually legitimately cool and I'm going to charm the pants off you. And he does that to a lot of people. He gets Drax to not kill Gamora by charming her. Whereas Rocket would probably neutralize Drax and then say something witty along the way. That distinction, I think, is something that was hard for me to articulate, but it was what I wanted more of in the movie. Um, because I do remember, I think, the initial rewatch months ago, I was a little frustrated of just like, and because knowledge of Guardians Volume 2 colors some things. It's just like, Mm -hmm. Rocket and Quill do seem too similar for specifically for a squad movie. If you're giving me a squad movie, I want every character to be very individualistic, like to be very different from the other ones. I don't like a lot of overlap specifically in squad movies. Like, that's kind of why, you know, something like even the Avengers does work. You know, no two people are terribly, like, that similar. Um... And this time around watching it, it was like, okay, I'm starting to see more of, like, the differences. I think now, specifically, I want more charm from Quill. And I need his... I think more specifically was a sense of, like, I think their moral compasses are too similar, too. And... I get that. And their value systems, I guess. Because... There's not that natural clash. Like when Luke clashes with Han. The clash is about their egos. Right. And that's why I asked the question of like, are they a little too similar? Because it's like, if you have two characters who both have big egos, then I feel like there needs to be a bit of a difference in something very clear and very specific. Like, I'm, I keep thinking back to that scene and... Guardians Volume 2, where they're both trying to fly the ship. The issue with that scene for me, though, was that, like, yeah, I actually don't know who I'm rooting for to actually fly the ship, though. I feel like they both yeah. can, which is kind of a problem. Um, Because it's... Like, you would rather it be Quill being out of line and being the clearly not as good pilot. Or either. or 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 either one. Because it's like... You know, actually, oh, God, I think I stumbled upon another issue I may have with Star Wars. How did I do that? Um, (laughs) Well, let's not talk about that. Well, no, because it's like it's like I was going to say it's like if Luke piloted the Falcon and then I immediately was like, well, isn't he a Skywalker? Wouldn't he be a good pilot of the Falcon? And I was just like, oh, wait, that's right. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's a thing of like, you know, when you have. Sorry for you Star Wars purists, but I'm going to have so much fun pissing you off again because I'm going to speak somewhat non-negatively of the prequels here. Uh, Having a choice of either Anakin or Obi-Wan piloting a ship, it's clear Anakin should be the one to pilot the ship. Like, that's kind of the more stuff I'm looking for. Again, specifically in a team-up ensemble like group movie like this where I think they all should offer individual things and complement each other in different ways and bounce off of each other in ways that are unique to each pairing 
And sometimes it could rub me the way of like, these characters are a little too close for my liking. But then again, this time around, it was less that and it was more, I guess I just want Quill to be nicer then. Like, because that's the thing. I think that specifically is the thing of like, well, I'm getting a little tonal whiplash here from you writers because sometimes Quill is the level-headed voice of reason and sometimes he is the one making shit worse. And sometimes he has a really good outlook on the world and he has a good heart and he only puts on a front for people like Yondu. And then other times he's talking to the woman who I can't remember her species and like, oh yeah, I forgot you were here. (laughs) Uh, My bad. Like it's, it's like I can't get quite as good of a grasp on the character in that sense then because then you bring in people like Rocket and Drax and Groot and Gamora and it's like if they were if this were just a Star-Lord movie, you could flesh some of that stuff out and I'd be fine. But in a group movie, it is a little bit of like why well, kind of do need you guys to be vibrantly different colors. I think you are peppering a little bit of what you know about the future of Quill's character into that conversation, though, because I think in this movie, he does a pretty good job of taking very ridiculous and disparate people um, and trying to get them on the same page. And I think that that is that is closer to what what you're looking for. But it gets muddied as we go through the series. And it's also what Gamora does. Right. Gamora does it. Yeah, Gamora does it basically in Guardians 2. Well, she no, she also does it here. That's what uh, that's what I'm saying is like there is there are a couple of times where like a character establishes, you know, something like, oh, I'm the heart of the group. And then later on, somebody will do something that goes like, I, too, am the heart of the group. And I'm like. Well, but. You got you guys. You 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 can't both do the same. Uh, okay, fine. It's fine. Whatever. I'm laughing. Ha <laughs> ha. It's fun. Um. <laughs> so there's like a. It's not enough to like make the movie bad, but it is enough to make me overthink now because it's like I'm wanting something that I'm not being given a hundred percent, and it makes my brain start to work. Of like. Okay, why does this why does this not work? Let me figure this out. When I should just be watching the fucking movie. Um And again, this is why I said at the very beginning, this is just a case of me having higher standards. This is just a case of me going like, you know, it's not really hard to make me laugh. It's not hard to have a space epic where awesome battles happen. And it's not really that hard to make colorful characters. For me specifically, that's why for me, Guardian just kind of hits that baseline of quality. It hits that like, yeah, you did all the stuff that I like, but you're not quite as memorable about it. I think an interesting thing that may explain why it chooses to do it the way it does. And I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just this is a thought that I had when we had started this conversation was that I think sometimes James Gunn will take humor and brownie points in the moment over like the overall like rigidity of the structure. Because when you think about it in this movie, 
you have both Gamora and Drax doing literalist jokes. And then in the sequel, you have Mantis and Drax doing literalist jokes yeah. of like, I don't understand this concept. Um, and Rocket never has that problem. Um, like Rocket always gets the jokes and Rocket's always able to snap back. And then Rocket has the ego thing with Quill. And then they both get to be the, the tech guy and the pilot, even though Rocket's the better tech guy. It's unclear who the better pilot is, but it's clear who's the charmer and who's the not. Um, and so like, yeah, I think James Gunn will will take the humor and the punchline almost over very distinctly separating these characters. Yeah, I would agree on that. But I still think it's a good movie, and I really... I, I, I don't think our analysis here is so, like... T- I don't think our analysis here is so heartful that people will go, well, fuck you, Guardians is perfect. Like, guys, we know it's very good. Just... <laughs> um, I will say this is one of the rare times where the rewatch of the rewatch, I had a better opinion of the movie than the initial rewatch. So this is weirdly a movie that got better the third time I watched it. So it's just like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cause that's typically not how things work for me. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to watch this before watching guardians too. Like if I'm going to watch this kind of space romp, this retro space romp, I mean, cause also like, the music does every does so much for this movie. Like James Gunn and soundtracks. We could do we could do an auteur thing in the same way we did with Edgar Wright on James Gunn and soundtracks. It's it it did, like it did so much for the MCU as a whole. Like to to know that there's a conversation in end of the producing of Endgame where the Russo brothers had to go to James Gunn and go, "Okay, well, the first scene for the Guardians, it's got to have a retro song in it." Give us a few songs, we'll test him out. And he gave him like a list of four songs. It was like, Don't Stop Me Now, One Other Thing, and Rubber Band Man uh, for their intro. And they ended up going with Rubber Band Man. And so it's like, it's so pivotal to the story that's been told. I think that, you know, th- this is just me hitting points before we move on. Like yeah. Peter's relationship with his mother is always something that I enjoy. Rocket's like trying to figure out who he is is always enjoyable. Groot being the child and the you know almost the the sentient pet um is you know i know that's kind of oversimplifying it but like always works drax is the one who typically is the one that drags the whole group kind of down um and so like you know there there are so many other dynamics beyond just what we talked about that make this movie what it is and a worthwhile movie to where i was like you know what if you're not going to watch the mcu but you do want to like enjoy a movie like this, go watch guardians. Cause like, you're going to get a lot of good things just movie wise beyond the fact that these are Marvel characters in a larger universe. Eh. That was more for the, like this like Larry last point for, for all the other stuff I was, I was on board. And then I was like, If you had to recommend just one Marvel movie for people to watch, which one would it be? It, it's difficult because no matter which way you go, there's a lot to explain. <laughs> I think there's less to explain with Guardians. I think you can hop on with Guardians, and the only thing you're going to get tripped up with is Thanos. I mean, that's... I don't think you need to know Thanos, Th- Thanos at all. You see a big guy in a big chair talking threateningly, and you're just like, okay. Like... For me, it's more like the different locations, the different species, the kind of logistics of like, okay, wait, what? They can do that? What? How can they do? And it's like, that is the but thing. But that's like, Star Wars too. Yeah. I 
have this. I have the same thoughts on Star Wars. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, then fine. Let's move on. Let's not go down the road of what should be explained in a sci-fi movie. So the time has come. Yeah. I don't think this movie is that bad. Me either. It's not that bad, guys. <laughs> it's 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 one of those moments where it's like I, I'm I'm talking from the hip here. I'm speaking in draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost feel like the larger structure of the movie and how things play out with Ultron, cool. The very like intimate individual moments, really cringy. Interesting. Like, think about like, you know, it's a very it's a very archetypal conversation when Steve and Tony are chopping wood. It's a very like forced situation with Nat and Hulk. It is a cringy ass Joss Whedon conversation when they talk about her infertility. Um, I think that looking back, they could have done a little bit more with the Maximovs. Uh, Thor doesn't get to exist in this movie. Um, He does not exist. Um, Ah. But then on the flip side, he doesn't. Thor doesn't exist in this movie. I mean, he go he flies off to do something else for a long time and leaves the group and then they cut half his scenes and he basically fights in the beginning, uh postures in at the party uh like and then fights at the end. Like that's Thor does nothing in this movie except supply a hammer. He also literally is the reason Vision exists. But even then, it's kind of... Vision could have been birthed without Thor slamming his hammer down on it. They just needed the Thor to be in the scene so they could have the thing with Vision picking up the hammer, which is brilliant. Well, the way they... Pos- that was a great The way moment. they position it, the way it is written and executed, is that Thor is literally and figuratively the reason that Vision exists... Because, yeah, he gives them the power, but, like, they were legitimately having a mini-civil war when Thor interrupts them. So who knows what would have happened if Thor doesn't show up. Like... I guess. And then, on top of that... But even then, that's less about him and as a character than it is about his presence. I mean, true, but they also... That's a fair point of, like, how to use Thor in a movie... With this version of the Avengers, with these versions of Tony and Steve, where they mm-hmm. kind of need a third. They kind of need a non-partisan like, person to kind of every now and again step in. And if that person changes every now and again, that's kind of fine. But like sometimes that is Thor. And Thor had, like literally go does a 180 in the movie. In the beginning, when it's mm-hmm. revealed that Tony did the fuck shit, like, he's a straight up about to fucking annihilate him. And then later on, he's like, no, no, no. Tony was right. Like, it's very much Thor exists in the middle of Steve and Tony's extremes in the movie. Do they do anything with it? No. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, it's not fair to him no. as a character to have to be that person. Especially when Hawkeye and pretty much everyone else on the team does it at some point or another in this movie. Yeah. I think it's like, if it leads somewhere, if it is something like it'd be different. It'd be sort of different. If in the first Avengers, like the way we see Thor, he's kind of a meathead. He kind of doesn't really have a lot to add to like 
conversations or like, you know, you know, thinking up plans or stuff, but he's there for the muscle. He's somebody who can go toe to toe with the fucking Hulk for God's sake. But then if you use the time in between the two Avengers movies to, Oh, I don't know. Say that there's a Thor movie where Odin is warring with all the different worlds or causing shit or Malekith comes back and Odin wants to go to war and Thor rarely is like, you know what? I think war is not the option this time. And he's put in a situation where he has to be a fucking diplomat and it shows progress in his character to where he no longer just immediately solves all his problems with punching things. Then you can come back to Avengers Age of Ultron where now Thor is actively acting as a weird mediator between Steve and Tony. It's like, Mm -hmm. but these things have to be done more on purpose. Right. Too many things seem like they're happy accidents or just accidents. Yeah. Like Thor is just an afterthought for Jasper. Yeah. In all, in all aspects, which sucks because then when he don't know what, and that's why we're so like, a lot of us are so satisfied when he doesn't become an afterthought with the Russo brothers and becomes his, he leads an arc in the story. Um, because that's the, truly, that is actually kind of how Infinity War works is that each of the, each of the three, big three, you kind of lead a team through a different portion of the story. Um, but yeah, so like, anyway, that's, let that's Thor. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about some other characters. I actually have always been a big proponent of, I like what Hawkeye does in this movie. Yeah. I think it's very smart. I think that, yeah, especially after like sidelining him through the last one, um, giving him the opportunity to have that joke of like, eh, uh-uh, no, you're not going to do the mind thing with me again. Um, and then having to be the one to put everybody together when, when he's like, look, I have a bow and arrow. You guys are gods. And then you also, Wanda, are like fucking incredibly powerful. And I got the bow and arrow. And I'm the guy who has to get you guys perspective. Like, what the fuck? Like, get, get your shit together. Um, and even then, he doesn't directly say that. He does it in his own kind of like gentle, I'm just the guy over here way. And that should give you some perspective way. I, I love, you know, when people say like, oh, Hawkeye doesn't matter. It's like, no, this was the movie that made Hawkeye matter. Like So that when he does show up in Civil War, it's important. Like, I think his wife in the movie probably put it best when they have a little exchange and Hawkeye go Hawkeye kind of goes like, oh, so are you saying they don't need me? And she's like, no, I think they do. And that's worse. Like, that's harder. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, you know, there was a shitty thing that, well... In general, CinemaSins is shitty. But I do remember specifically them having a shitty comment, you know, quote-unquote sin, about, you know, Strucker says, like, target the weak ones. And Jeremy from CinemaSins is like, this is why the Avengers shouldn't have weak ones. And I'm like, okay, so you're just eh. very much missing the point of what these Yeah, you're thinking punch to punch. Yeah, what these characters bring to the team. Also, just in general, there will always by dif- by default be weak ones because there have to be if you're raiding them. Like Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Thor is more powerful than another person in the group. Captain America is not that much more powerful than than, you know, uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow, and also sometimes you need Hawkeye and Black Widow because the mission calls for something different. Yeah. So fuck off. 
Um, but like the, but yeah, human, so he's, the human element I love is very important. Yeah, and also just like and like I said, his his monologue to Wanda is like the to me like the pre climax of the movie is like it, it is it is the overarching like more or less theme of Avengers: Age of Ultron, where it's like if you choose to do it's it's this it's a great superhero movement moment where it's like if you choose to not do this, that's fine. You're a kid, it's okay. I'll have someone come get you. But if you choose to fight and you choose to do it to 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 stop the world from ending, you're a part of this and you're powerful. And I'm like, that's that's one of the best monologues in the entire series. Um, and I, I truly love everything they do with Hawkeye. And I love his quips. I love when, I love his relationship to Pietro um, and the, you know, didn't see that coming. And the moment where, where Pietro picks up Wanda and he's like, no one would know. <laughs> Stand it right here. <laughs> I literally guffawed. I was this is probably the hardest I've laughed in any of these movies ever. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those moments where it's like you don't think of that as 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 funny as we're Kevin Bacon, but like it's a funny ass moment, and he gets a lot of those good moments in this movie. Um, so yeah, we checked that box. It's interesting the things that you and I individually find funny, and then the things that we both find funny. I just think that's interesting. <laughs> All um, because right. it's like it's always the things that you don't really expect. <laughs> um, like I think because I did not remember that joke. I did not remember. Um, no one would know from Avengers: Age of Ultron. It's like not one of those iconic lines. <laughs> There's very few lines in that movie that are iconic. Language, even then, ah! that was also one of those like very easy jokes. Aw, I like that one. Um, <laughs> anyway. But, um... But yeah, like, Tony and Steve kind of get to just be Tony and Steve in this one. Like, I I, I really always kind of had a problem with them making Ultron Tony's creation over Hank Pym from the comics. Um, I, I think that that created an unnecessary extra wrench against Tony going forward. No, no. I like that. Really? But here's the thing. This goes into... An idea I had, much like in phase one, where I had a theory on like, okay, here's how I would have done it. And it I don't know if it's better, but it's kind of how I how my brain wants it to be. It's like if you, this is my thing, if you do combine Iron Man two and three to just one Iron Man two, this now works way better as an Iron Man three. If you take out the Avengers or if you leave them in, because also I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world if Iron Man 3 had a... If Iron Man 3, potentially, was just the Maximoff twins beef with Stark, and because it allows them to breathe, it introduces them more effectively, and then you just continue it into an Avengers movie right after... Like, literally, Ultron is created in Iron Man 3 and then just carries over into Avengers. It just gives a lot more time for things to breathe because me watching this movie now, I'm like, yeah, things just don't have a lot of time. Things just don't have a lot yeah, of totally. room to breathe here. It feels like they're trying to cram a lot of shit into this movie. And then... Speaking on the fucking Nat and Hulk bullshit, it's the exact same thing. 
going back to my hypothetical blueprint of the MCU, it's like if you do have the Hulk movie being more of an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie that introduces Black Widow, you're now introducing Black Widow and Hulk in the same movie, introducing their relationship. She's the one that goes to get him in the Avengers. And then uh, if there's even you can even have Bruce in Iron Man 3. Because also, and you could, and you could have Nat, because I do think it is objectively weird that the last time we see Nat, she spent an entire movie with Cap, and then she just jumps into Age of Ultron and is, like, presumably have this long running thing with Bruce going on behind the scenes, and there's just nothing to even kind of set this up. And then they proceed to not talk about it ever again after this movie because we all hated it. Well, no, Thor Ragnarok does. But even then. And uh, I think there's at least a kind of passing mention in Infinity War. And I know it's a thing in an endgame because that's why he takes the fucking death so hard. But even then. (laughs) It's really, they they don't really... Do we do we do we nod and go? Oh, yeah, that that happened. That basically, happened. or do we like really follow through on it? No. Basically, it's not a plot point. I'm not saying to get rid of Nat and Hulk. I'm saying Nat and Hulk needed way more setup before you just do this shit. And then their common ground should not be that he turns into a rage monster and she's infertile. Um, like the fact that she compares herself to a monster and Bruce doesn't immediately reassure her that she's not right is the most gross thing. It's probably the honestly, it might be the grossest thing in the MCU. Ooh, that's a good question. Like what what else is cr- so cringy and so not like cognizant of of the world that we live in? It's not as bad but the only thing that challenges it so far is just quill's entitlement to green ass in volume two yeah that makes sense um i don't know what cheers is (laughs) uh but yeah um do you think that pietro dying was worth it no i don't think so no the the amount of little bit of shock of him dying and even then his his death and being a grieving point for Wanda is a huge part of WandaVision. And it's still not quite... He could have died later and it would have been more, like, more worth it. Imagine, imagine Wanda losing Vision and Pietro in fucking uh, Infinity War. Can you imagine, like, how much, how much better that would have been for everyone involved? No. Oh, because you just don't care about Pietro at all? Honestly, well, no, it's not that. It's just, like, I think, honestly, losing one person, losing two people, it's just kind of, like, I think it's, if done right, it's strong enough either way. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of the, like, I have to phrase this very carefully. I am very much a fan of tearing characters down to their lowest point to build them up stronger than they were before. That I like. Mm-hmm. But I don't like doing it because you feel like we need stakes. Right. Agreed. I hate that shit. So honestly, just killing Pietro in general is just like, 
week. I literally said week out loud when I watched it. I was just like, no. I don't. It's not even that I don't care because Elizabeth Olsen is acting her ass off like the cinematography mm-hmm. is doing its thing. There's slow-mo. There's sad music. Of course, it's fucking sad. But, like, it's just a, it's just a thing. of, And this is beautifully explained by um, fucking... In overly sarcastic productions, there is a video, I forget which one, where Red, on YouTube, where uh, Red instead, it, like, basically gives a version of the MCU if Pietro doesn't just die for st- shock value, where instead he lives, and now potentially you have a Maximoff twin on either side of the Civil War. Yeah. And it's like, that's way more interesting. And then on top of that... I think, yeah, there's a rights thing that may have dictated that one of them kind of needed to die, potentially, because it was just a little bit too awkward or difficult. But also... with Evan Peters in another cinematic universe. Right. But also, I think there is... I think there's a little bit of they don't want to find a way to write a a dash, a flash. They don't want to find a way to deal with that. Because there's always going to be a thing of like, well, why didn't Quicksilver just... You know, why didn't he just solve everything? The way that it kind of is with Thor or Cap or Captain Marvel of just like, well, they're super strong. Why yeah. didn't they just do the th- like <laughs> Although like Quicksilver is always notably weaker than the Flash. Like it's it's clear that he's oh, yeah. not like a time travel level speed. Yeah. I mean, he's just fast. But um yeah. Yeah, honestly, Age of Ultron is just it felt like there was too much there was they were trying to stuff into one movie. The tone felt off. Like there are things that I like about it. Yeah, it's just dripping with weedonisms. Yeah, and I feel like we're just going to learn mo- I feel like you're already familiar, but I'm just going to learn more about weedonisms and I'm going to just start to not like things as much. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, I think that there was a, a ver- some moments very soon after, all the way until probably the past, like, few years where we were all like, yeah, fuck Age of Ultron. And then I think people rewatched it and went, no, actually, hold on. There are good things here. It's an enjoyable movie to watch. Like, there are good performances. It's just, dr- it's just it's just a little gunky. And the last thing I will say about Age of Ultron is that he shouldn't have fucking lips. Anyway, um... <laughs> You're talking about, uh, Ultron? Why does Ultron have lips? <laughs> Did you get puffier? Um, but also, I think James Bader was a wonderful choice. Oh, yeah. I just, I actually, I need you to describe to me, why doesn't Ultron work? Is it just because he dies? Part of me is like, you know what? I feel like Ultron works better if he survives. And then that's a thing they have to worry about. Well, you just mean eternally? Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, like, what what makes it to where people aren't satisfied with his performance and his presence? Oh, you mean people don't like Ultron as a villain? Right. Oh, I've never heard that. Um. Oh, really? Well, because I think anytime anyone talks about the Voltron character, they're so quick to talk about James Spader. And... James Spader's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, I mean, um, mm-hmm. so honestly, I think there's just, his plan really does just unravel so quickly. Like, he goes from True, yeah. wanting to help the world to give peace in our time to very quickly just, 
I think there's a specific line of like, even if I drop the thing now, I still kill billions. And I'm like, is that your goal to kill people? What? Like, I'm not going to ask when did that happen? Because I know there's like, it was probably just a gradual decline, but like, why would it? Why would it go from saving all of humanity by making the Avengers extinct to then, well, I'll just kill as many people as possible. Like, what? <laughs> so, I don't know. I just feel like the ball was dropped. Yeah, fair. Okay. And then Ant-Man. I don't know why it's at the end of this fucking phase. Uh, I was okay with it. I think I think that, I, but I think I was only okay with it because Age, Age of Ultron was not satisfying. <laughs> I truly think that that's part of it. Is like I think if Age of Ultron had been everything everybody wanted, then we'd very much be like Ant-Man. But I think that because it was disappointing and that Ant-Man surpassed expectations, that people now look at it like it's a a bigger achievement. How low were your expectations of Ant-Man? <laughs> It wasn't that low, because that's the thing. Knowing me, I knew who Ant-Man was, but most people I knew were like, Ant-Man? And I was like, no, 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 guys, this is actually going to be really cool. Um, I I really, really like Ant-Man. I think Ant-Man is one of the most creative power sets that we have seen in film. And having re-watched it just now, I think the CGI work on it is also great. Oh, wait, hold on. That's um, one thing I did want to bring up. The one time I literally watched with a passing eye, with my naked eye not zooming in or anything, and was just like, that's bad CGI while watching these movies, was also in Age of Ultron. Right. I don't know what happened. That whole beginning, the whole siege, bad CGI. Yeah. I'm baffled. Yeah. Anyway, continue. You're baffled. You're baffled. (laughs) Well, I mean, well, think about it this way. You can't do Ant-Man's CGI in 2010. Like, I think that there is something to be said about you can't do all of the 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 ant animations and the shrinking and enlarging and, um, you know, battle sequences in the briefcase and the sequence on Cassie's, uh, you know, play table. I don't think you can do that if he's a part of the original Avengers, it's almost as though like, despite all of the like production hell that this movie went through to get made, I think when it actually happened, ended up being for the better because do you know about like what the actual production hell was for Ant-Man? Yeah. I only know about apparently Edgar Wright was supposed to direct and then he opted out, but he still helped with the script. So basically the story, which is, you know, largely unchanged, um, was the heist movie, which is part of why they wanted Edgar Wright to do it. And they wanted it to have that kind of humor. And what happened, because apparently something that is lesser known about Marvel is that they actually kind of play the field with scripts a little bit. Like they don't necessarily commit to one definitive ending or one definitive like way the twist is supposed to happen until they like test it. Like they may actually do like like readings and tests with the actors or look into what the CGI would look like before they make their decisions. And that's what Edgar Wright didn't like. Edgar Wright wanted to be like, look, I'm done with the script. This is what the script is. And so basically they both kind of just had to like part ways. And I don't think it's as anim like, I don't think there's as much animosity as people give it, give it there. But then Paul Rudd talks about how 
you they had half a script and they had made some decisions on it. And so he was asked after he had already signed on to do it to help them with the script. Like he gets a scriptwriter credit and they bring in Adam McKay from The Big Short and Anchorman to also help punch up that script. And that's what it ends up being. And despite like as much as I would have loved to have seen an Edgar Wright only Ant-Man, I think it does benefit from from Paul Rudd and Adam McKay's twist on it, because I think giving Paul Rudd some degree of steering over his own performance makes Paul Rudd better. Okay, so how do you want this? Your opinion on it? My opinion that is slowly starting to seem like anally, I guess, almost the exact opposite of yours. Really? Not in like a bad way, but in the sense of like, honestly, I really okay. I guess you're 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 very just you're just so very okay about it. For me, this was peak average MCU. Uh. I, I, all I can kind of say is like eh, that sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're not. You're not with it. Cause, cause to me, again, like I said, I think this power set is something that I don't think anybody would well, have that's expected we could on. be cool and useful. Um, like I think that I think that people would think that like shrinking and growing, like if you ask people on the street what they would want their power to be, it's never shrinking and growing, but it's so well used in this. Um, and the idea, like the capacities for the heist, the way they construct the heist. Um, I think that with the exception of T.I. and the Russian guys characters who can be a little grating as you get to know them. And they're very much just like fools. I love Louise as a character. I think he's a great friend. I like that everyone is friends in Ant-Man. Like there is not a crazy amount of contentiousness besides like Hank's demons. Um, I think Michael Douglas was a great choice for Hank Pym. I think that hinting at this kind of silver age of heroes between Captain Marvel and uh, and Captain America in like the 70s and 80s that Hank Pym and and Hope Van, and uh, Janet Van Dyne were that we're hinting at is a really cool like let, we can explore that more now um, for this tech to have been around for that long. Uh, I don't necessarily think that I, I, I was. I go back and forth on whether or not I like Darren Cross as a villain. Oh, I think he's awful. Because, oh, really? Okay. Because, um, like, it, this time around watching it, I was like, oh, he's fucking crazy. Like, he's fucking crazy from the first get-go. It's not like he, like, got crazier because of some catalyst event. It's just like, no, there's a crazy person. And they got to stop a crazy person. Um, but I think Corey Stoll is the right choice for that role. Um, even if the villain's not perfect. Um... And I think that, and I think that the most one-dimensional person in it, in this case, was Evangeline Lilly as Hope, no! um, which gets better. What? I'm di- I'm I'm hurt and disappointed. <laughs> You're agreeing or disagreeing? <laughs> I'm hurt and disappointed by the fact that you think Hope is the most one-dimensional character in the movie. Well, it's not so much that it's. I guess let's not phrase it that way. I think she gets a lot of really great moments, um, and I think that they. I think that they do a good job with their relationship. I just think that she, as an actor, the way they costume her during the training sequences, the way she's like, I should just be the one to do it. I think it's it. it, it that's cliche to me. Like I think there's a better way to write that. I think that all the beats and all the plot points should stay. I think what they literally say to each other in regards to her positionality in the movie is 
the wrong thing. Like, there's more nuance you can play with. with I mean... That is not just, I am, I am this character who is uptight and I need to be broken down and deal with my drama. Like, no, you can give her more, more intelligence and agency and less angst. Well, the thing is, I'm kind of caught because I didn't really think she was uptight, but I thought the angst was earned. But I also kind of, I'm like... Uh, this is one of the movies that's guilty of that MCU thing where we all kind of feel it. We don't often, like, you know, really quantify it as well, but, like, it's like this movie does feel like we are coming into a thing that's already started. Like, and this is an Origins movie. So that's egregious to me. And it makes me yearn for an actual Hank Pym Ant-Man first and then to do Scott Lang Ant-Man, which in it, like, which along the way contextualizes hope better since we now know the baggage she's dealing with. But the way that they do it is they just kind of front load everything So you end up having to insinuate and just straight up say everything actually out loud because we don't know. We can't know because this is the first time that Hank Pym's really gotten any play in the MCU. This is the first time that we're meeting Scott. This is the first time we're meeting Hope. This is the first time that Ant-Man as a concept has really been introduced. So it's like... There's so much stuff that has to be explained and expanded on. And it, I think through that process, it reduces Hope's nuance to a little dot. And that dot has to be Evangeline Lilly's entire performance. And that just makes it unfair to Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> because... Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, I... Even... There's even a thing, because Evangeline Lilly is not the only person that even suffers from this. I find myself liking Paul Rudd, but I don't even, I don't know if I like Scott. I just know I like Paul Rudd. I like Scott. I, and here's the thing. I know what Scott is like in the comics, and it's not like that. He's much more dastardly. Um, like, he's much more of, of like, a con. Um, and so I think, like, what they chose to do, I, I think the choice of Paul Rudd did a lot for the character, but I get how Scott is different than who Paul Rudd. Like I, I, I can see enough distinction um, from just Paul Rudd being charming as all get out. Um, like I could, because, and I also think it's the, what? No, good. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's the end of it. I was just going to be like, I was just going to say like, Oh, he's got different motivations than other heroes and he has a daughter. And that's, I like that. Um, go on. Like I kind of could have used more of both. Actually, that would have been a nice little, like, change to certain things. I would have liked if Scott was actually, like, a legit, not, like, I like the thing of, like, the Robin Hood-esque, like, you know, he takes from, like, billionaires that don't need the fucking funds Mm -hmm. and shit like that. But I would like it if he were, like, straight up, like, you know, I'm doing this because... Yeah, fuck them. 
And, you know, I could use the money. But also, fuck them. I mean, capitalism sucks. And he was just a good person. Like, the whole... The whole, like, apologizing to Falcon while kicking his ass scene is very indicative of Scott. It's a very Scott... Well, I mean... I mean, it's a pretty Spider-Man thing to do, but... <laughs> like... Um, I liked it. I know. That. I, I, I liked it. That's why I liked it, because it's, I'm just like... Okay. I think we've, we're stumbling onto a pattern of just, like, more often than not, we kind of like when people are like Spider-Man... <laughs> Because I know we've brought that up before. I mean, <laughs> just like how people like when people are like Batman, which doesn't make sense. Yeah, because they've never seen a good live-action adaptation of Batman. But, um, <laughs> I'll save that for another day. But, um, yeah, the thing with Scott is that like I actually would have been interested in seeing, and I guess this is kind of what I wanted with Quill, too, is like having a rogue with a heart of gold who's, like, both extremes at the same time. Because it feels like there's always that kind of compromise of, like, well, he can be a rogue, but he has to have mixed feelings about being a rogue. Or he can have a heart of gold, but he, you know, has to not have a heart of gold the whole time. And I'm like, no, no, I kind of want you to do both of these things full force. Because they can coexist. You can have somebody that's absolutely, like, fuck these corporations, I'm taking everything from them, and I'm going to smile and laugh at them while I do it, who's also fiercely loyal and dedicated to his family and just wants to be with his daughter. Like, I think that makes for a very interesting character because there is an inherent duality of breaking the law because the law allows shitty things to happen, and then also kind of not you can't get caught breaking the law because then you get taken from the your daughter that you love so much and there's that war within Scott. Like, that would have been interesting. I know it probably wouldn't have fit for Ant-Man because it's like they're definitely going for more comedic take. But... Yeah, I also I also think that, like, the fact that they... The, the fact that they do have to choose where it's like, Scott's not dumb, but Scott doesn't know what's going on. Like, Scott... Scott is not a quantum physicist. He's an engineer. And so like, and so like, it's really great that he has this, he has the know-how to be like, I can get this suit to work if it's broken down, but I don't know anything about pin particles and quantum physics. So the fact that he does have to kind of go along for the ride for a lot of it, I think, I think the fact that they like took a moment to acknowledge that with Hope's story, I'm putting my foot in my mouth about the whole Hope story thing. Um, when they're in the car and he has to be like, look, I'm expendable. You're like in in terms of your family, I'm expendable. That's why he's behaving the way he is. And I actually did like that whole perspective where it's like he's he's also self-aware enough to know that he's like, I'm in this situation. I kind of don't really have a choice, but I'm still liking helping these people. Um, And if we can all get out of it in the right way, then the wrong people will be, you know, stopped. And I can go about, you know, getting myself back on my feet and maybe this is an opportunity for me to work with these people long term after we do this heist i actually think they do a pretty good job of filling that out even if it's not what you were looking to be interested in no i agreed with basically everything you said i like that scene and Mm -hmm. um i think because sometimes i like a thing so much that i wish i had more of it that's kind of and sometimes that can come across as like criticism because like 
it would have been interesting if they more so like pitched 36 presents. Last year I had 37. But last year, That's last it. year I had 30. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's but it. hey, but um, three movies I liked, but last year I had four. But like, it would be interesting if they pitched this thing to Scott and were like, you know. If they did the whole route of, like, we understand if, you know, this is too much of a risk given your situation and, you know, we know that you don't know us and we're asking you to trust us a lot on faith and we honestly question whether or not you'd even physically be able to do it. And if Scott literally was just like, no, I'll do it because I, yeah, based on what you've told me, based on the situation, I just kind of want to do it. Like, that would have been an interesting way to take this. If Scott actively was kind of like, I mean, I don't, I'm a little weirded out about the ant thing. I don't know why ants have to be such a big part of it, but yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would have been, that would have been interesting. Um, also, I think we can all just agree that the, uh, mm, how to put this? Um, Cot's stepdad sucks. I mm, I don't like him. I don't want him. Bobby no, Cannavale. No, fuck that guy. <laughs> nothing against the actor. <laughs> I love Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, nothing against the actor. But uh, yeah, I'm not here for it. <laughs> it's a he serves a purpose. Um, All cop stepdads are bad. <laughs> but again, I really cannot stress enough how. How much fun I had and still do have when watching this movie. Um, You know, the when you first watch it, obviously, you know, it's coming now. But when you first watch it and you see funny things get bigger and smaller, that's always a fun part of this dynamic in this area of the universe. The giant Thomas the Tank Engine or the way that they will have this intense zoomed in fight and then they'll zoom out and it's just pew, pew. Pew, pew. I love that. That's so that's so much fun to me. Not even funny. It's just fun to me. Um, the ant getting big and becoming their pet. Um, you know, him getting freaked out at the ants and then popping up in the yard. I think those those moments where they play with the power and the suit is so much fun. And I think it only gets more fun in the sequel because we get to see Hope be very competent in that role on, on top of Scott's like figuring it out. And then they get to have, like, you know, compliments to one another. Um, I did think in the moment, I can say all the way back to the first time I watched it, when we, they got together immediately at the end of the movie, I was kind of like, eh, that was forced. But. I wouldn't say forced, but I will say unearned. Yes, yeah, sudden. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a hard thing. That's just a hard thing to get right. I No, not dissing yeah. anybody. Um, but. Yeah, am I weird for just not thinking this film was really funny? Yes, I mean, it's just not your thing. I don't know. I mean, the Louise scene is fun. Like, obviously. That's, like, the most known, the most well-known thing about this movie. It really it really upsets me that they don't use him more in other movies. I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, there's that joke of Louise should show up. Louise should be, Louise should show up uh, just before the portal scene and has to recap the entirety of... Of the five years that they missed. Um, I think that would be hilarious. Um, but anyway. 
that's it. That's that's phase two, you know. Either I'm gonna have to cut a lot, or this is gonna be a monster episode. So, I mean, it's it's Marvel. It's not. You guys will uh, figure that out when you get it. (laughs) Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I'm tired. I'm tired. Two and a half hours talking about this. Like it's. Well, and I don't think I, you know, caught everything that I remember. Yeah, no, it's really hard to do that in a movie in an episode where you talk about six movies. Like you're you're probably not gonna catch everything. Um, and it also, like, quite frankly, it's it's harder, even though we are rewatching these, it's harder to talk about these because we kept bringing up later movies. Yeah. And so, like, the MCU is, I think, just going to get so much more difficult to talk about until we catch up. Because we, because it's like, looking back, it's like, is that still bothering me? I guess it bothers me now more than it did. Or, I don't know, that doesn't really bother me anymore. I don't care about it anymore. Whereas at the moment, I probably could have talked about it a lot differently. Hmm. Well, it is, it is kind of tiring to talk about these movies back to back to back. It's kind of a little tiring to watch these movies back to back to back. But yeah. So we hope you uh, either enjoyed this extra long episode or this massively cut episode. Uh, I will literally have to decide that like today or tomorrow. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, we hope you enjoyed this nonetheless. What do you think about phase two of the MCU? Let us know on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Red Team Pod. Go check out our website, redteampod.com. Crafted like Tony Stark, crafted Ultron by the lovely Trevor Catalano. And I built it in a cave with a box of scraps. I mean, yeah. I mean, he basically did. <laughs> yeah well cause I mean fun little story if you're not that impressed by our website it's actually largely because I went out of my way to try to code it myself and use like a third like a really unknown host yeah. and I paid for three years for like no money under this host and then it proceeded to be a fucking nightmare so we're st- we have three years of this uh, this website under this hosting that I wish I could change oh but <laughs> not that it's bad it's not terrible but it's not what I think I could actually do so every time you say that I cringe like, oh, oh, oh. I I'm just that. trying to give you credit where I'm it's not, due <laughs> <laughs> I am not a uh, I am not a website designer I even think if I I even think if I did pursue that as a career I would not be as good at it as I would be other things I mean so. to be fair I am not an editor so <laughs> yeah that's fair uh, so yeah, anything else, uh, about the MCU in general? Uh, no, I, I like it and I need you to catch up. So, well, that'll be a long time coming because even on our quote unquote break, we will be working immediately on season three because fuck God, I hate being week to week and <laughs> I will do pretty much anything to avoid that. <laughs> um, right. also, uh, we have other things to watch in uh, that downtime that is basically, since you know what I'm talking about, is going to take up all of that time, basically. Um, yeah, it's going to be several episodes where it's more than one movie. Uh, also, the last thing I want to say about the MCU is that Jamie Alexander was wasted in the Thor movies and I wanted more Sif. Anyway, sure. uh, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Carlano. And, uh... I don't know, some... Some reference to phase two of MCU. Uh, 
I Avengers Assemble. I don't know. I that's just weird to. They they retconned uh, Nick Fury's uh, like of uh, corner cut uh, cross cut toast in Captain Marvel, and so it's, it's technically Talos who is there on the farm with them. Um, is is uh, something we'll have to talk about at some point. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It also makes sense. They say in Captain Marvel, like, I don't like my cut toast, my toast cut diagonally. And then he proceeds to cut his toast diagonally in a previous movie. So they're retconning it. It also kind of makes sense, though, because he does go into hiding at the end of Winter Soldier. So eh. true. But uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Excelsior. <laughs>